welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I'm joined today by Ian Johannes. Ian, how's it going? I'm doing great. You let me pick the podcast episode and title today, so I'm excited to have a little influence around here. That's right, just a little bit. Uh, Before we jump into today's topic, I want to make a couple of brief announcements. First of all, the third Vision Implementation Team Forum on the Principle of Becoming will be on Sunday, July the 11th. That is a little bit of a change from what we have announced in previous weeks. We try to do these forums the first Sunday of each month, but considering that that Sunday is July the 4th, we understand that people may have other plans, may not be in town that afternoon. Um, So that'll happen at 11 a.m. on July the 11th in the Fellowship Hall, the basement of the building of the First Baptist Church of Anchorage. Uh, And then, Ian, I think you were going to mention one thing. We are having our Volunteer Appreciation Day at the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center. That's going to be July 17th at 10 a.m. A mission will be covered for anybody who has volunteered in any capacity at True North Church and their families. So uh, if you think that applies to you, it probably does. And if you want to go to the Wildlife Conservation Center and you've never volunteered, maybe you should start volunteering. And if, you, if you're looking for an opportunity, we could find plenty to plug you in. That's exactly right. We would love to cover your admission in order to get you working with our kids <laughs> or our students or serving in another area. The very next day, that's going to be a Saturday, on July 18th, the Sunday following, we'll have our second round of church in the park at Cuddy Family Park. Uh, you guys may remember that we did that earlier this year on May 30th, had a great time. God willing, we will have sunshine that whole weekend. So if you're listening to this, you can pray that way with us, that we can have a great time at the Conservation Center that Saturday, and then get back together that Sunday morning for a cookout meal, a brief service together, some time of worship, and a whole lot of hanging out. Um, Just a reminder to you, if you are coming to that event, it may benefit your family to bring a picnic blanket, some lawn chairs. We have a handful of those that you can pick up from us when you arrive, if you forget but sometimes the uh, benchtop seating in the amphitheater is a little bit damp if it's rained in the last 48 hours or so. Um, Last week on the podcast, I had a chance to sit down with my wife, Andy Coleman, and discuss what it's like to follow Jesus as a modern woman. What we mean by that is... Uh, what, what are the challenges to uh, a woman in this setting, in this society? What are the narratives that our culture is telling women right now? How much of that aligns with the Bible? How much of that is not actually good and does not actually lead to the flourishing of women? And then uh, Andy gave us some specific recommendations and resources that have benefited her in her personal walk with the Lord. So that was last week. Check out last week's episode if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. Uh, and then, Ian, I'm going to throw the ball over to you, and you can get our conversation started today. Awesome. So we are titling today... So you want to be an elder. So uh, if that is you, maybe you think that you want to be an elder, or maybe you've thought, what does an elder even do? Or would I be elder material? Hey, keep listening. Or if you just want to know what we do around here, um, it's going to be a good conversation. I, I don't think this should be a comprehensive overview of all the details of eldership or all the biblical qualifications. We're going to point to some scripture, but um, certainly we won't have time to fully and robustly cover that. Uh, this morning. And you're welcome for that, by the way, if you're (laughs) listening. Uh, The time it would take us to do that, we recently put together a document uh, analyzing the qualifications because we're working with uh, a guy right now on potentially becoming a candidate. Uh, and it, I mean, just the, the sheer amount of self-reflection that's required to figure out if, if you're even the right kind of guy to ask to be an elder can be pretty exhausting. So it, I'll say, if it is a conversation you want to have, if you'd like to get into the weeds on that, certainly myself, Ian, Scott, uh, would be happy to try to find the time to do that. But for the sake of today's discussion, we're going to keep it a little bit casual and maybe get more into the, the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of what it means to be an elder. 
Great. So the first thing I want to talk about is what should someone do if they think that they might want to be an elder today or someday in the future? Uh, how should they know if it's a good idea? Should they speak up? Should they wait for someone to pick them out of a crowd? Uh, <laughs> Philip, let me hear your thoughts. Yeah, so um, I would say that we have experienced both appropriate and inappropriate versions of both extremes. We have seen guys who waited way too long, probably, and and maybe almost had a sense of false humility that it would be that, that it would disqualify them if they spoke up. Um, the very opening statement in one of the qualification passages in Scripture, uh, I think it's in First Timothy three. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, if you find a man who aspires to be an elder, you have found a man who wants something good. And I don't think that just means it's good for the church. I think it means it's good for him. It's good for his relationships, for his family. And that's been a good model for us, right? Even when we limit ourselves, we kind of go, well, what if, what happens if my eldership stops being a good thing for my family? This is where inactivity can come in. Those who may remember in December, we voted yep. in kind of a sabbatical period as a potential thing an elder can engage with. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think if a guy is mature, if he feels that his household is in order, if he reads through the passages of qualification and thinks, I probably generally meet these, if that comes from a place of genuine humility, I think it's appropriate to speak up. Uh, I think the best way to get your name in the hat is for somebody else to acknowledge that you have the characteristics, because to me, that speaks much more loudly that this person can acknowledge the value that you already have in the corporate body, yes. and they just want to lift you up to a place where you have more influence with that. Um, I know in the past that you and I have both had experiences at different churches we've been a part of, of guys maybe pursuing eldership from a wrong heart or a wrongheadedness. Um, without getting too specific, can you speak just a little bit to maybe some some thoughts or emotions or feelings or self-concepts that wouldn't be good reasons to, to speak up and ask for eldership? Yeah, that's a, that's it's a really good question because there's a lot of different wrong ways you can do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think primarily what I see is guys who want to fulfill some sort of identity thing that they got going on where Mm -hmm. they say they look uh, on a Sunday morning, they see the guy up on stage, they're, you know, commanding the crowd or they're leading people and they go, I want to be that guy. Like it's the same feeling I get when I go to a concert and I see somebody playing (laughs) guitar and I'm like, ah, I'm just, I'm not a creative person, but I see that guy and I just wish I could do that. You know, like I want to be that. I know I'm never going to be uh, leading a bunch of people with a guitar. That's just not uh, who I am or my skill set. So I, I think if if that's where you're coming from, that you're looking and going, I, I want this to be something that really points to my accomplishments yeah. or my goodness, I think that's a wrong place to come from. And I think if you walked into being an elder at any healthy church thinking that about yourself, you're also going to run into a lot of humility really, really quick. That's right. And that's one of the beautiful parts of the process is if you if you self-evaluate and you think, yeah, I'm elder material, but you aren't really, it's not actually that dangerous for the life of the church. Yeah, and and I think part of that is when if you do speak up, even yeah. if you're coming from a, a correct place, uh, you are opening yourself up to a lot of criticism by the people around you, mm-hmm. your leadership, because you're saying, here's something I'm qualified for, that gives us, I mean, we know as as elders who are evaluating future elder candidates, mm-hmm. we know if you say, hey, Philip, I think I'd like to be an elder, then, okay, we're going to point to all of these uh, passages of Scripture, all of these high sort of standards that we have for elders, we're going to apply them to you, and you might not like, even even 
good biblical qualified candidates are probably going to have to run into things that they're going to have to wrestle with that are uncomfortable or feel transparent. About. Absolutely. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, we spent almost two hours sitting with an elder candidate and his family. And I mean, these are people that have walked with us at the time of this recording. We've not announced this individual's name, so we won't say his name at this point. But very soon, the church will be hearing about this individual, have a chance to get to know him and, and weigh in on whether or not the church finds him qualified and, and would like to ordain him. Um, but I, I, I mean, these are people who have a ton of integrity in their home. They love the Lord. They give sacrificially. They are exemplary members of the church. And still, it was an emotional, exhausting, mm-hmm. challenging process. I mean, that self-seeking, I think it's a mercy that God gives us the chance to go on that journey with people as elders. And I would want to say, too, as a caveat, I think sometimes guys come out of seminary and they think that the, deg- the degree sort of pre-qualifies them as an elder. And I think that the degree is great. The yeah. education's good. It can help you. Um, but it's being willing to go through that process, having the humility to understand that you're going to be evaluated and maybe need several meetings in a row to work on some things and then come back and ask again and work on some things and come back and ask again. I think that's why Paul uses the word aspire. I think aspiration means this is a journey I'm on. It's a thing I'm working toward. It's not a one-time pass-fail and then I'm amazing if I'm an elder and I'm really hurt and rejected and don't belong here if I'm not brought in immediately. Yeah, and to that point, I think that good elder candidates want what's best for the church. Yeah. And so they they look at the church and they say, if I can serve this church in a way that's beneficial, then I want to do that. But I also know the sacrifice and the work that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that there are p- talented people who serve in elder roles or pastor roles, and if they move on, sometimes they go to a new church and they say, I just want to be a good church member. That's right. And I don't always have to be in that leadership role. I think that's a good sign of of a potential elder is that you want what's best for the church and would trust the, the elder team to say, hey, maybe it's not a good time for you right now. If that's going to really bother you, then you probably need to reevaluate as well instead of going, oh, I know what's best for, for this church, and it's me. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. would, I, think, I think having the primary focus being the best way to serve the church is a good sort of initial test if you're going about it in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, not to beat a dead horse here, but we actually have a couple of guys that I'm aware of in our congregation who have been elders in the past that are that are currently in our congregation now. So one from a different denominational tradition, another from the same tradition that, that we're kind of in line with at this point in the life of our church. And both of them are very humble, very willing to follow men who are much younger than them. And it's interesting because in their lack of aggression about being an elder, all it really does to me is make me warm to the idea, like maybe they actually would be a good member of the team because they don't have an agenda. They're not out to prove anything or or necessarily think that they're the solution. Um, We said we wouldn't get into the weeds on this. I do think it's helpful maybe for our listeners just if we were to read through the two passages. So I'll do 1 Timothy 3, and then if you don't mind reading uh, Titus 1, 6 through 8 when I'm done, we're going to try not to comment on these a lot. Um, but I think it'd be good just to, since we're kind of alluding to what are the qualifications, this is a good starting place. This would be a great place for a young man uh, who thinks he might aspire to eldership to begin to self-evaluate a little bit. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, then he desires a noble task. And therefore, in response to that, uh, let me see if I can find my place, an overseer must be above reproach. An overseer must be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. We kind of alluded to that a minute ago. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. I'm going to go ahead and tack on to that the verses from Titus, which is chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and I'll read all the way through verse 9. It says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah. When I think of these two qualification lists, I think of Timothy as more kind of the internal aspects of what it means to be an elder. These are the qualities of life that you need to show. And then Titus is more about capabilities. And I want to ask you as a lay elder, specifically a couple of those things in Titus that regard uh, being able to teach or uh, being able to refute wrong doctrine or defend the doctrines of the church, those kinds of things. Um, Can you think of any examples at all of moments where that has cropped up in your own life? Obviously, I'm a paid staff member. I have a little bit of theological education that you haven't had necessarily. So I think maybe sometimes people would bring those things to, to me more quickly or more typically. Um, but I know for you and Scott, both you guys have had to hold the line on some stuff before. Does anything come to mind as far as how that's played itself out as a lay elder that might be a little different from my experience as a paid staff member? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I want to share sort of a personal philosophy that I have that I think is I gained early on in my faith when my wife and I were reading a book, we were newly married mm-hmm. about marriage, and it said, everyone has to be a theologian. You, you are a theologian, even if you're not in a ministry position, meaning you've got to be able to know why you believe what you believe, yeah. and in some sense defend it, even if it's just defending it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just a, a normal Christian thing that we want to be prepared to offer a defense of our faith. Um, and, and so that's just amplified a bit when people look to you as a leader, right? They yes. look to you and say, I mean, th- the verses there say that we are to be able to rebuke um, rebuke those who contradict sound, sound doctrine. So that is part of the role of elder, and I think you've got to be prepared to do that. I think every Christian should be prepared to do that in their own lives at certain times. I, I can think of different issues where people have come and said, why does the church believe this? Uh, you know, sometimes it's a life group member, or sometimes it's somebody fills out a connect card, and it's my turn to give them a call and, you know, w- welcome them to the church and see how they're doing. And so I I, I don't want to get into the weeds of any specific doctrine that I've, that I've sort of had to defend or how that conversation went, but there are times as elders that we are required to defend doctrine and to... S- I don't think... I don't think that necessarily it's a theological debate. It's mm-hmm. more of a here is why we believe what we believe. And that's a good practice just as a as a Christian church member in general. Yeah, and I think that what you're getting at in part is at least that if we were going to be combative, we'd be trying to prove the other person wrong. Really, we're just trying to get to a, the middle ground place and say this is our perspective. 
Um, I've seen you do this many times uh, in a starting points setting where people will yep. ask a question and we try to throw the ball around elder to elder. Um, but yeah, I've, I've seen you need to be able to give a little bit of response to refute where people are mistaken. I know sometimes uh, we'll, we've used a term like complementarian or we've gotten into where do we land on the gifts? Are we cessationists or are we continuationists? And all of those labels are so packed with meaning that we may not mean when we say them that I think it benefits an elder to be able to, whether they can immediately by memory whip out all the Bible verses and every doctrinal theological stance from all of church history, that's not what I think the Apostle Paul is saying. But I think having a working knowledge and understanding of the functional part of what yep. this means, what do we actually do about this? And functional is really important because we live in the internet age. You can Google what it means to be a complementarian. You don't need an elder to teach that that's to right. you. But what teaching is and what guiding a church is is translating that to someone's situation, to church practice, to the way we live out our very lives. And so that's what you're defending when you defend. If you need a good defense, there's a lot of people who have better defenses of, say, complementarianism. complementarianism. You could just look them up online. That's right. Yeah, if you're trying to arm yourself for some kind of argument. Um, you know, within these qualification lists, there are a few specific things, and I just want to mention one for the sake of time right now and get your insight into this, Ian. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul uses the word respectable. And I think this is an interesting word given our current cultural climate because people are very polarized on lots of issues. And so how do you evaluate if a person is respectable if by taking a stance on anything they are necessarily creating ideological opponents? Um, the way that we've parsed this out as far as kind of this internal qualification document that we have that we give to a potential new elder is we've got a couple of questions, and so I just want to get your insight into this. Um, one of the questions we ask of a potential elder in response to the idea that an elder needs to be respectable is, does this elder candidate position himself and his language so as to not unnecessarily cause friction? So there's kind of the heart or the mindset of a peacemaker here. Help me a little bit in your experience as an elder where, how has this manifested itself? Where have you needed to be? Maybe you have had a strong feeling or emotion, but you've kind of had to choose to represent the church and to be a peacemaker and a shepherd instead of just maybe telling somebody off who's being a jerk to you in Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gosh, this last 18 months or whatever that we've dealt through COVID has been a great opportunity to practice being respectable. And, um, you know, there's kind of this trope of, oh, respectability is just a way to silence people and to keep them from uh, telling the truth. And I, I don't think that's what that's what it's getting at at all here. I think it's getting at, when I think of what our job is to do as Christians, if we're spreading the gospel and we believe that um, it's a message that's for all people who are built in the image of God, that we have to be able to present truth without uh, being abrasive yeah. and pushing people away. Yeah. That can be a tricky tightrope dance, but I think um, if if we are looking at people who disagree with us politically or who are taking a stance that we disagree with, or we're going to have to take a stance that may upset or hurt their feelings, right. how can we do that in a way that Jesus would have done, that would have shown mm. God's love to them and still value their humanity? And so that's what I see as respectability, that we've had to, you know, over the last year, had to disagree with people on various things. Should we mandate masks or should we uh, stick up against the government? I mean, there's been all sorts of opportunities where uh, members of our church, members of the community have disagreed and very strongly uh, with strong opinions. And at the end of the day, 
those people are valued people in the image of God yep. and being able to communicate that to somebody that you're disagreeing with is not easy, no. but it, <laughs> it is a, it is a practice that I, frankly, I think if you're an elder, you've got to put that into all aspects of your life. Uh, you don't get any days off from that if, if you want to be a church elder. Yeah. And, and I think that the, we have to allow the truth to be offensive if it's going to be. Sure, you know, of course. You're exactly right. The presentation, I think that this is like why shepherding is such a good analogy for eldership is because there are times where the shepherd has to shear the sheep, fix the sheep's broken leg, not let the sheep wander into the poison berry patch. You know, it's a lot simpler when you're thinking of sheep, but when we see people who begin to have practices that are sort of analogous or analogous to those kinds of sheep activities. As shepherds, we have to go, I'm going to love the sheep. I'm going to speak respectfully to the sheep. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to humanize this person as much as I can. But then at some point I may have to reach my staff out and go, here's the truth that I'm wielding. Not my opinion, not what I think would be best for you or your marriage, but like the Bible says these things, I have to lovingly communicate them to you and then invite you into obedience. And I think there comes a commitment with that this is one of the great time sinks of being an elder, of walking with people, not just delivering a message and saying, here's the solution, take two of these and call me in the morning. Yep. But you and I both, and Scott as well, have had to embrace lots of meetings, lots of getting together, especially with young men, and mentoring, discipling, listening, lots and lots of listening, and trying to be a father figure that can in some ways balance and maybe correct their family of origin in certain instances, or, or past addictions that they've had, things like that. So... I want to kind of lead into, in addition to that, which is a lot of the time that I spend, quote unquote, eldering in a given week, what are kind of the nuts and bolts of elder life? Just what are some things that you spend your time working on? Let's talk a little bit about how we communicate, how we plan stuff. I think any of that could be interesting to folks who, who would want to see behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah, so um, I, as I was thinking about this, I have found that it is hard to to delineate, just like probably for you as well, what is stuff that I'm doing as a church member? What is stuff I'm doing as a life group leader? Would I meet with this person if I wasn't an elder? Maybe, maybe not. Would I read this book if I wasn't an elder? Maybe, maybe not. You know, so there's a lot of, of gray area. I think I probably spend 10 plus hours a week doing elder type activities. And some of that is our every other week elder meeting right. that we meet at, but more so it is various things that the church is working on in between those meetings that I get to be a part of and I get to often lead in. So that might be yeah. uh, right now I'm preparing for our life group leader meeting. Mm -hmm. We're preparing to uh, work with deacons, and so we're reading a book and preparing for those conversations. Those are just two things off the top of my head that I'm actively spending my time working on. And then we communicate Every day, at least, yeah, give in or Slack, take. right, right, and um, and that's just ongoing things. And so, whenever the church has to make a decision on something, then hopefully it'll be less decisions than we've had to make in the last year. That's but, right. Yeah. But when we do make a decision on something, just as easy as simple as, should we do the announcements? before the music or in between the songs, and mm -hmm. how many announcements should we have? Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that our elders are going to weigh in on, and I don't just want to say, yeah, whatever. You know, that's my, my right, role right, is to be yeah. thoughtful and yeah. to care and to have a defense of it if people go, why did we do this decision? So some things that you see changes around the church that are seemingly small, we want to be thoughtful about. So that, that just takes time. And so that's kind of my day-to-day -day as an elder. Yeah, and I think that 
It's probably important for the church to know, you know, we've developed these different teams across the last couple of years. Um, the appointments of those people, choosing and inviting those people into those teams is a lot of the work that we do, discussing internally beforehand, you know, what are we looking for? We want a good, broad mixture on any team of ages, genders, stages of life, kids, no kids, older, younger, male, female, because uh, we think we benefit from that diversity, and we have. It's proven itself to be true, but with the um, relief fund team that we put together over a year ago, yep. with the, the finance committee that meets quarterly to review our finances, um, with the uh, vision implementation team that's very much active right now, these are all teams where we took time to pray over these names, really think through the team dynamic. Um, in a couple of these instances, the vision implementation team specifically, we put together an assessment where we wanted to figure out what was their calling and how do we discern that and what specific element or principle of the vision are they most drawn to. And and so, you know, part of leadership, I think, is uh, investing that authority down into the life of the church. And we Absolutely. say we say a lot that we're elder-led, congregationally ruled. One of the ways we try to make the rubber meet the road in that area is by continuing to hand power back down to the yep. average church member. Um, I think about... Uh, anytime we have a baptism, that that takes quite a bit of work. Obviously, I do the majority of the preaching at our church, but you and Scott are involved with planning those sermons, vetting me, uh, reining me in where necessary, or coaching me in different areas. You guys handle my evaluation every year. We as a team handle the evaluations of the staff. Uh, we're pretty involved in how the money is spent week to week. And again, we invest authority into the finance team to look back on those decisions that are made. Um, but we, we feel that we have a pretty good finger on the pulse. We try to reach out to new people. We try to be, uh, each of us is leading a life group in addition to eldership. And so we're involved yes. in set up and tear down and, um, there's, it's a, it's a time sink. And I have no intention of saying that to like drum up sympathy from people. But if the title of this podcast is, so you want to be an elder, a great thing to look in the mirror and ask yourself is, do I have 10 to 15 hours a week that I can give away where probably most people will have no idea what I'm doing and will rarely if ever say thank you. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things where some of those things behind the scenes that we do, um, when you think about what I find to be rewarding about being an elder, I yeah. think that's one of them, is that I get to know, I had a hand in this, and it didn't point to me at all, and I think that's a good practice as a Christian, and so if that gets you jazzed up about being doing work behind the scenes and seeing it come to fruition and not getting any of the credit, then... Um, I think that that's, that's a good place to be. Yeah, go figure, right, that a, a faith system built on service of others uh, would require you to increase your service as yeah, you yeah. increase in authority as well. But hey, it deserves to be said, because some people don't know that or don't expect it. Sure, sure. So I want to kind of shift gears and ask, just we've talked about elders making decisions, affecting change, guiding the church. Mm -hmm. Can you just highlight over maybe the last, well, since your tenure, maybe since you've been here, what are some of the changes we've made as an elder team? And maybe even a little insight into how that decision-making process goes or what that looks like for us to, to implement a change. Sure. Well, I think I'll start with our first big tug of war that we had. Uh, coming into the beginning of 2019, I was brand new in Alaska, never been a lead pastor before, uh, admittedly very young, 28 years old at that point, just barely not 27, honestly. Um, I think at that point you were 30, maybe, 30, 31. Yeah. And then we have Scott, who is 
our eldest elder, no offense, buddy, if you're listening, um, and then another fourth elder who's currently inactive at this point. And I think our first big kind of pulling match came out of some conversations you had had when you were the only elder. As our previous pastor moved on to another ministry position, there were some people who were starting to push a little bit on our requirement to have baptism in order to be a member. And I remember even when I was here interviewing, we were on a hike with another member. You kind of threw the ball at me. Where would you land on this? I think at that time I took a pretty extreme position because I just didn't know what to do. But we had to figure that out as a team. And so uh, we ended up, it's the only time we've ever done this, but we produced a document with like our specific stance. It probably took us five or six months to decide, are we going to continue to hold this as a standard? Does the Bible require it? Is this just a thing that we've inherited from the denomination that planted our church? Or is this really a biblical precedent? Um, and obviously, we've not changed that requirement and feel better than ever about it. Um, but that's just an example of, of how much time and, and how many of these really big picture changes we would introduce, discuss, and then not resolve. Go away, pray for another two weeks, get back together, bring it back up, pray again. Any change in perspective, anybody read an article or have a conversation or hear from the Spirit in prayer in a way that changes your perspective on this. And uh, one of the things I'm most proud of about our team, you didn't ask this, but I want to make sure I say it today is even when we disagree behind closed doors, and we do, we yep. disagree in ways we are not unkind to each other, but we are convicted, we are serious, we can be very adamant with our tone and our body language. Uh, we leave those meetings unified, and we don't move unless everybody can at least understand the way the decision is being made. Even if it sure. goes to a vote, typically the vote is between two decisions that seem plausible and somewhat wise. We just may have different preferences or different experiences that inform our decision. So the baptism piece was one. Um, you know, this new vision that we've been in the middle of was absolutely 100% a thing that God used our elders to initiate and begin. Um, I had some conviction of my own that I brought to you guys at a meeting that we had at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> it's, I think, like one of two times we've ever met at a yeah. restaurant. Um, and, uh, you know, I tried to present that to you guys. I think I did some drawing on a napkin, which is a very cliche, like Silicon Valley idea, but we did it. And you guys immediately were just like in love with the concepts, helping me with language, offering and pouring in different perspectives. Um, and so I, I would argue that's probably the, the biggest one. That and the move to FBC would be the two. So the vision would be more kind of philosophy, theology, and then the FBC relationship has been almost totally just nuts and bolts, yep. logistics. So would you give us your perspective on on either of those things or both? What was it like going through that decision-making process? What do you remember maybe about the vision? Was it weird to you when I brought it to you like that? Did you think, here goes our lead pastor going haywire off the deep end? What were your experiences through that? I, one of the things I appreciate about... Um, your commitment to to eldership and and here here's here's something the church should know is if you want to be an elder-led church your lead pastor the paid staff member who's an elder has to be fully committed to being part of an elder-led church without your commitment to that it would be impossible because you you've got all the sort of abilities if you wanted to be subversive to our power you sort certainly could so I want to compliment you on the podcast and just say I appreciate you bringing those ideas as they're not fully formed yet. It wasn't you didn't have a PowerPoint, right, you had a napkin, right? right? Yeah, and yeah. even though that's cliche, <laughs> it it is great because it allowed us to speak into that and be part of the process. Thank you. you even some of the language that we use now was not language that you brought to that's us, right. and so yep. that is that is valuable. I think three three heads are better than one when putting mm -hmm. you know a vision together, mm -hmm. and so I think. I've enjoyed really being a part of of things that 
need to be well thought through, things that be, have to be talked through, yeah. things where you, you alluded to it or you mentioned it, but we can disagree with one another and um, tell somebody that we don't think that's going to work or we think that you're saying this wrong. Right. Or you, I, I know people in the church that maybe the two of you don't, that I go, so-and-so is going to hate this yes, idea. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and so just so you know, if you do this, they're going to let you know that it's stupid, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think that that brings value and being part of that uh maybe a brainstorming process, a collaborative process yeah. is really valuable to me. And then, you know, also on the FBC side, uh, us moving to First Baptist building mm-hmm. required a lot of logistics, yes. some meetings, some conversations, some numbers. And so I felt like we brought different things to the table, the three of us who did it. I, I'm a guy who likes numbers and and can put a document together. You're here day to day and working on the relationships. Right. Scott's got so much church history. Yes. He knows how church churches have done things, right. probably how he's done them before, and can bring that. And so that was also a team effort that that completely different than putting together a vision, but allowed us to each be part of the process to have a voice. And I think also the three of us are able to know our strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask any one of us elders, hey, where are you weakest where you defer to the other two guys? We'd have a list for you, like all, all three of us would. And that yeah. that is something I appreciate too, that uh, there can be times where I'll, I'll just say, hey, you guys are doing a great job. I, I, I don't want to affect this. I'll sit back and let <laughs> yeah. you answer yeah. these yeah. questions or let you you know complete this. And I appreciate that as well. So it's very collaborative. And I want to say one thing. I totally agree with you about that. Specifically, <laughs> The move to FBC, I would have not navigated on my own. I mean, there were some moments, I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but there were some moments that felt precarious to us. And I think the FBC leadership would say the same thing. It's just part of, it's like a dating relationship. You just kind of go, wait a second, I thought this was this, but now it's going a different way. And you guys both, not only were you a great sounding board for me, a place where I could be very honest about some of the fears I was having, my concerns with the timing, things like that. But you brought such great strengths to the table that even though there were some meetings where, just for the sake of clarity, I needed to meet with the chair of deacons and the lead pastor from FBC, and that was it, just to keep from having 10 people in a room all talking over each other, I always knew that the decisions that we were making in those small settings were representative, or at least my contribution to them, was representative of you guys. And then by extension, all of our wives, our families, the church at large, I really feel that... Um, we have never had a moment in my tenure, even when we've had some of these tug-of-wars internally, where it's felt that the church was in tribes against each other behind elders, and that can happen really easily. You guys have honored me by not trying to divide the church against me at different points. You've not been jealous for my leadership. I mean, you you and Scott will both tell me you don't want my job, which is great, because no. I I know some guys that are on teams with elders who do want their job, and that they're climbing a ladder, and the top rung of that ladder, there's already a guy up there, and so if they can knock him yep. down, it makes it much easier. So I very much appreciate our unity. I, I know I'm, I'm harping on that kind of repetitively, but that's, I tell people, like when I go to conferences and stuff, or even in our state or the city, our church is growing, we seem to be very healthy, people will ask, what are you doing, what's making it work? I think the secret weapon of our church is our elder team. I really believe that. I don't want to diminish any other member in the church at all, but God has set up a system of leadership, and I think the humility has made us effective in that system in a way that there's really no replacement for that. Uh, in my experience, so. and there's and there's one thing that you yeah. said that I, I just think wor- is worth repeating, is that the three of us were representative of our families, our life groups, the churches, the church members as a whole. Yeah. Is that one of the jobs? Uh, you go back to the 
to the shepherd example is the shepherd has to know their sheep, right? Yes. And so it, if we're looking back to the title of this podcast, so you want to be an elder, you have to know your sheep, right? You have yes. to know the church. So if you're somebody who sits in the back and you know a lot of theology, but you don't, you go, I don't really know anybody here, not, you're not going to be an elder. That's right. Uh, you've, yep. you've got to be involved right. in the lives of the people in the church, because how else are you going to know them and care for them and lead them and be there to serve them if you don't even know how they would respond to a given change or you don't know what they're going through you how would you preach to them if right. you don't we, we can get we can get great preaching back to the online thing i can That's google right. great preachers Absolutely. easy yeah. easy uh, i could fill every sunday with great online preachers but the reason why we show up to hear you preach is because you know the congregation mm-hmm. of the people that you're preaching to mm-hmm. and, and god has ordained that, right? He's seen some value in that. His Holy Spirit, we believe, is working through you when you preach, us when we lead, that that there is a, an element of being known uh, yeah. to the leadership. Yeah, and I think I want to I want to reinforce this because we alluded earlier, I mentioned earlier that we're getting ready to announce the name of an of what would be our fourth elder potentially and um, we'll do that publicly on the stage. We'll, I'll, I'm actually going to plan the next episode uh, after this one to interview that individual so that the church can get to know him better and his story, his perspective on some things. But when the time comes to vote for an elder, whether it be this guy or anybody else, I would really encourage the congregation, the covenant members of True North, to hold a very high standard for whether this person knows them or not. I want to reinforce the point that you're making. It's not just this would be best for you guys out there who might want to be an elder, but for the congregation, we're not just looking for people with theological heady ideas or who can maybe teach well from the stage from far away. We should maintain the same standard that we won't endorse. We don't want to ordain an elder who doesn't know us, who doesn't have relationships, who doesn't really belong here in the sense that we belong to each other. Yep. Uh, and so I just want to empower you. If you're a member listening to this, please never receive the elder's recommendation as sort of like a that your vote is a formality in addition to that. It's not. We are congregationally ruled, and we want you to vote no if you feel that this is not a good idea. We don't want to do that at the expense of a member. That's why we spend so much time vetting and working on the front end to make sure we're not going to make a recommendation that's halfway thought through or half-baked. But we're going to trust you to pray and to consult with the Spirit of God and to follow his leadership. Um, And as we approach that in the next five or six months, that vote I think will probably be at our member meeting on December 2nd of this year. Uh, I want you to take that seriously, church, and feel empowered by your elders. We don't see that as competing with or pushing back against us. That is a way that we work in cooperation. That's a yes. that's supposed to work that way. So um, it's probably about time to land the plane. I want to ask you one more question, Ian. Maybe we can both answer this together, but just pick one thing. What has been one personal benefit to you from eldership? One area of growth, a relationship, uh, a part of your character or experience that you feel like you could say, if I had not been in eldership, I might not have had the pressure that was necessary to call me into this new maturity. Yeah, I think um, there's lots, right? Sure. There's lots yeah, of benefits, too. so I'm me trying too. to narrow it down to one in my head. Um, but I, I think that when we go back to the first part of our conversation to talk about defending the doctrine yeah. of the church, that I have been forced to understand the doctrine of the church more than I would have otherwise, mm-hmm. and even getting going up uh, when when we have our 
our starting points meeting yeah. and yeah. people ask questions, what do you guys believe about this? Mm-hmm. And me going, oh man, I'm glad I <laughs> glad I read this, you know, or, yeah. you know what I mean? And so it's very different under, reading something and going, oh yeah, I know what that means or reading something and teaching it to somebody else. Yep. And that's, it's it has enriched my life to the point where I'm going, I didn't need to be an elder to enrich my life by knowing doctrine deeper. I should have done that, you know, without having to feel like I needed to defend it to others. Yeah. It's enriched the way that I've taught my kids yep. the gospel. It's enriched my personal relationships. It's been able to meet being able to meet with people and knowing that if they ask questions that I can I can pour into them with, I can provide a Bible verse to back that yeah, up. I can, yeah. uh, that's, and I've got a long way to go, but it's something that I have really enjoyed in enri- enriching my own spiritual walk. And I think that being an elder has forced me to do that. There have been times in my el- early in my career as an elder where I felt unprepared to do those things. Yes. And so being forced to do that, that's been one real big benefit for me personally. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting because I think as a lay elder, what you're describing is sort of you've risen to the standard to some degree, right? That wasn't maybe a natural strength or a natural thing you would have pursued on your own. Um, For me, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I would say mine has been a humility. So whereas I think the call for you has lifted you up and brought you into some things that weren't naturally on your radar, I've always, with my dad being a pastor, been exposed to these things, been in leadership meetings, just sitting in the corner playing my Game Boy while the deacons are all trying to decide the future of the church at the big Southern Baptist church my dad worked at. So I think I've had exposure, and that was my comfort zone to some degree. What eldership has done is brought my feet down to the ground and put me among the flock. And uh, I've, I've changed. When I came to True North, I felt that to be like an itinerant traveling preacher was a, kind of a cool thing. And if you're a really gifted communicator, I thought maybe like when I'm 50 or 60, I'll go and do marriage conferences or teach on a certain thing. I don't believe that anymore. I think that to be among the flock, like you talked about, is such a necessary part of preaching accurately and correctly. I think if you have an international platform and you want to preach sermons that make sense in different international contexts, that's fine. And I'm not saying you can never guest preach at another person's church, but to do you know 60 to 80% of the heavy lifting from the stage with one group of people over a long period of time, that has just continued to solidify to me as, as I think God's best for a congregation and for an elder. So it's exciting to me because I think that to kind of double back on what we talked about earlier in this conversation for the, for the young guy who thinks he deserves this eldership will humble him. And for the older guy who maybe never thought he was quite good enough, but he's living with integrity and he meets the qualifications. Eldership will lift him up to a level that puts us all on even footing. So that's about all the time we have today. I appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Uh, I'll say this again, just to be clear, um, looking forward to next week where I'll have the chance to sit down with uh, what we're calling elder candidate number one. Uh, don't want to share his name yet because we haven't had a chance to do that from the one stage. One of many, hopefully. That's right. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, as always, church, you can submit questions that you have, comments, ideas to info, info at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line, podcast questions, that'll help us sort through those and get to them a little bit more quickly. Uh, we love you, church. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon. <laughs>